The essence of the Christian life is to abide. If we do not abide in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no chance, say it again, there is no chance for any fruit from our lives. And what is abiding? Abiding is depending. Well, continuing again in our series on the life of David, Pastor Robbie, we're jumping actually outside of the narrative of Scripture to jump into some poetry he wrote, right? Yeah, we're hitting Psalm 34 today. Excited about that. Here's why. Really, it's one of my favorite themes in Scripture. It's the dependence and posture of humility upon the Lord. The Psalms reveal to us massive amounts of David's heart that expand on the actual narrative of his life. And so we're in for a treat today in Psalm 34. Again, something that gets my heart beating pretty fast because really our lives are to be lived with abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. And David gives us a huge help along this way. So get ready, listeners. Hey, you're so loved by us. We're so glad you're tuning in. And we pray God uses this particular message today to impact your heart and your mind. Maybe so. Amen. All right. Psalm 34, the dependence of David. Let's go again to Pastor Robbie with today's message. Please open your Bibles to, um, to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, we are resuming our series in the life of David here. And this series uh, is called uh, Life of David, a man after God's own heart. Uh, if you've been with us in this series the last time that we were with David, he was running from Saul, he was foaming at the mouth, and he was hiding alone, we have every reason to believe, um, in a cave. And so this wasn't exactly David's finest moment. In these moments, you think of David running from Saul, foaming at the mouth, pretending to be insane, that's what was happening, and as he's um, hiding in a cave all by himself, we're tempted to write David off. We're tempted to be like, wow, how can you ever recover from that? But this is just when things get turned. This is when David, looking like he's going to end up in the gutter, uh, he turns things around and he ends up finding such triumph in the midst of his trial. Uh, If you're like me, you say, how does he do that? Uh, Why does he do that? Well, the reason he does that and how that he does that is because fundamentally, David was a man after God's own heart. Fundamentally, David was a man depending upon the things of the Lord. He, he wanted God more than anything else. He made mistakes. We're happy about that because it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. He also suffered from fear. We also resonate with that as well. But at the end of the day, David would seek his God in repentance, in contrition, and in dependence upon him. But one of the questions that I think we would ask right now is we say, okay, David was a man after God's own heart. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to be a man or woman who has a passionate pursuit that I'm following after the heart of God? If I had one word to answer that question today, and this is a life-changing message in terms of the importance and the biblical precedent that is set all over scripture on this area of communication. If I could answer that question with one word, what does it mean to be a man or woman after God's own heart? The word would be dependence. It's dependence. It's the man or woman leaning fully on the strength and the promises of God. Because just like that song we just sang, which is based on John 15, the essence of the Christian life is to abide. 
If we do not abide in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no chance, say it again, there is no chance for any fruit from our lives. And what is abiding? Abiding is depending. Abiding in the Lord is depending upon the Lord. So the essence of the Christian life is I must depend upon God because God is the source of all things good. Oswald Sanders, his brilliant book, Spiritual Leadership, cannot recommend that highly enough. In this book, he has this chart, the difference between a man-made leader dependent upon self and a spiritual leader, a man or woman dependent upon the Lord. Notice how he breaks this down. This has always blessed me. This has been so helpful. The man-made leader is self-confident. I trust in self. I depend on self. The man or woman of God is confident, not in self, but in God. The man-made leader knows men, focusing on humanity only. The spiritual leader knows men, but most importantly, they know God. Because apart from Christ, you can do nothing. The man-made leader makes his own decisions, her own decisions. The spiritual leader seeks the will of God. There's a massive difference between these two. Which one are you? Which one are we? Are we making our own decisions? Are we seeking the will of God? Your last major purpose, uh, purchase, your last uh, big career move, uh, the desire of where you want to live, the things you want to do, how your kids are behaving, how things are going. Is this your decision or is this seeking the will of God? The man-made man is ambitious. The spiritual man is humble. Where? John the Baptist, I must decrease, that Jesus Christ must increase. This is the dependence flowing through the life of the man or woman of God. The man-made leader creates methods. I'm in control. I will force this to happen. I will get this done. I will do it. The spiritual man or woman follows the example of God. Man-made leader enjoys being in command, enjoys control. Just pause and let that sink in for a second among the people who need to hear that today. But the spiritual man or woman of God delights in obedience to the Lord. Again, submitting ourselves. This is, this is, this is what dependence does. The man-made leader seeks personal reward. It's, it's about me. Spiritual man or woman of God dependent upon him loves the Lord and others. And I think this whole list, I didn't put these in here. Oswald Sanders, just, but this summarizes everything here. The man-made leader ultimately in the end is independent. I depend upon my own devices and myself and the spiritual man or woman of God ultimately will depend um, upon the Lord. So you see that list and you start to see, wow, um, dependence upon the Lord is uh, super important. Now, some might still have a few questions about this. So let me just, just in case we're wondering if dependence is valued in scripture and if God really does work within this person, well, let's just think about the secret to Jesus' life himself, okay? The secret to Jesus' life was being fully God and fully man was dependence upon the Father. Check out these verses that Jesus, Jesus spoke all of these words. Jesus, fully God, fully man. He says, the son can do nothing of himself. I can of myself do nothing. I receive not glory from men. I am come not to do my own will. My teaching is not mine. Picking up a theme here in the words of Jesus Christ. But I have uh, not come on my own accord. I do nothing of myself. Neither have I come of myself. The word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. How much time did Jesus spend in prayer? How much time did Jesus, depending upon the Lord, before he chooses his disciples, a night in prayer, agonizing in the garden, pleading, seeking, resting, completely dependent upon the Father, and you're telling me you and I are gonna be any different? You and I are gonna somehow live a life that's independent of God and try to see any level of fruit or success? You gotta be kidding me. 
The life of dependence is absolutely essential for any man or woman who desires to see the Lord work within their lives. And of course, David is no exception. And this is why we open up Psalm 34 today because Psalm 34 is an unpacking of what it means to depend upon the Lord from a man who means it and from a man who lives it. It's so interesting as we look at the heading of Psalm 34, take a look at the heading. It says of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, the Philistine king, so that he drove him out and he went away. This tells us, we were here a few weeks ago, this tells us this is one of David's lowest points. Now, isn't it true that so often we find out who we really are at our hardest times? Isn't it so often true that we find where our hearts are really at when the crisis hits? And right here in David, when life gets its hardest, we find out where his theology truly lies, what he really believes in, and what kind of man he actually is. And for the glory of God, we're so excited. When David gets pushed to the wall, we find out he is a man of all-out dependence upon the Lord. Now, what does this look like? Well, that's the rest of the message. Here's what dependence looks like. According to Psalm 34, we have five points here, and I'm praying this will be a template for our lives. I'm praying this goes beyond today. This carries on. Do something. Make notes in uh, the margin. Uh, Write down the five keywords. Circle them in your Bible. When you return to Psalm 34, because you're not going to remember anything I said today, but when you return later on and you can say, oh yeah, there we were. And this was the template of depending upon the Lord. And how long will you have? I've read this Bible for 11 years and I can go back and take lessons from 11 years ago to encourage me today because what God has taught me. And that's the whole point. Don't be afraid to write in your Bibles to remember the important lessons God has taught you that we can continue to be disciples for the Lord and bear fruit for him. And that was a tangent, but an important tangent, I think. All right. So, so what does dependence look like? Uh, Number one, it's this, it's a mouth that magnifies the Lord. Dependence begins in Psalm 34 as a mouth that magnifies the Lord. Look at verse one. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes us boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me now. Uh, Let us exalt his name, notice, together. So the undeniable theme through these first verses are found in the words, ready, bless Praise, boast, magnify, and exalt. It's hard to miss that. And all of these are rooted in the praise of the Lord. I want you to notice this. It's from the um, overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. The words that David is using is coming from the reality of his heart. You might ask, where are you getting that from here? Look at verse two. In verse two, David says, my soul makes its boast uh, in the Lord. Okay, so, so notice, David's soul is now speaking. This isn't flattery to God. This isn't when we're praying to God and we find ourselves in these repetitious type of words, awesome God, holy God, heavenly father. We just, we just say it, we don't mean it. 
Or we just say, because we've always said it. Awesome, loving God, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the day, you're like, did you mean anything? What, what, what did you just say? Here, David, he is speaking from his soul. His soul is communicating praise to God. This is a dependence that is felt from the innermost part of his being. The praise of his God, listen, listen, it is the anchor and the, and the fuel of his soul. This is where he turns at his most difficult moment. This is all he knows what to do. His God is his glory. So therefore he pulls out from his innermost part, the praise and the magnifying call that he is to have for his God. So notice in verses one to three, you could say this, David's dependence flows into worship. And you could also flip that. His worship of God flows into dependence. So the more we depend upon the Lord, the more we worship him. It makes sense. He's the God of all glory. He's my all-sufficient, awesome, sovereign God. When you see him as that, you depend on him. You worship him. And also my worship of God, God, you are awesome. God, you are holy. God, there is none like you. God, you are so great. God, you are so beautiful. God, you are magnificent. Well, obviously my worship then will come along with my dependence in him because there's no one like him. And this is what's happening with David right now. I will bless the Lord at all times. I don't want you to miss this too. Notice the role of humility within our dependence. Notice the role of humility within our dependence. David says, the humble hear and are glad. Isn't that interesting? In the midst of all this magnifying, he just kind of throws this in there. The humble hear, which means the proud are deaf. The humble hear and are glad. So humility, love is ready. Humility crushes our self-reliance. Humility opens us up to God dependence. You might've heard me say this before. People say their complaints about Christianity is a Christianity is a crutch. Whatever. As if Christianity is a crutch. It's way worse than that. Christianity is a wheelchair. <laughs> Christianity is an everyday I see you uh, moment. There is nothing we can do without Jesus Christ. We can't breathe with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hearts can't be without Jesus Christ. We can't bear fruit apart from Jesus Christ. We cannot spiritually live apart from Jesus Christ. We have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Christianity is a crutch? Pfft, way worse than that. Christianity, again, every day of our lives, we are in the ICU, 100% dependent upon the sovereign God of the universe who has made us, who keeps us, and who works within us. And humility understands that, and humility then depends on him and finds joy in the one who is all satisfying and allowing that person to live. But notice, the pride of man rejects God, and therefore the pride of man will not hear, and the pride of man will not listen, and the pride of man will then not know the everlasting eternal joy that the Lord Almighty gives. See what David does here. I will bless the Lord at all times. The humble here, you want humility in your life. You want it. If you have any sense of scripture, you will plead with God that you might become less. Oh, I don't want to become less. I want to become more. Well, then you want foolishness in your life. The, the less you become, man, the more life starts to actually be lived by the joy and the power of the Lord. Notice what David does also. I want you to see this insight. In verse one, first person, David goes, I will bless. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Then in verse three, he says, he says, oh, magnify the Lord. What's the next word? With me, yes, with me. Let us exalt his name. Next word, 
together. See that? So he, he starts off in his, I love this man, he starts off in his private arena of praise. And I'm praying so much, increasingly so in our church, uh, from Monday to Saturday, you are with the Lord, you are seeking the Lord, you are praying to God, you are taking the time in the morning or at night, whatever it is, and you are cultivating that relationship with the Lord in prayer and in his word and praising him. David goes from private praise and then he moves and he's like, okay, I don't want to do this alone anymore. Come, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And that's so right. We should all be off in our own places, blessing the Lord and then joining together like this on a Sunday morning. And we should long to come in here and find the joy of each other as we join as the family of God in this reunion we have in this way once a week to praise God, to bless God, to exalt God, and to love God. That is such a proper and good thing under the design of God for his church. I love, I long for so much this place to be a place of genuine joy and worship. What I don't appreciate so much is when we come in here and we're super grumpy and complaining now, I'm not saying you can't have bad days, man. I had bad days too, more than I like to admit, all right? But the key is, take your bad day and your grumpiness. You come in here and you start to apply the gospel and you say your grumpy day is soon gonna be replaced by the glorious day where Jesus Christ returns and he will establish the day. There'll be no more sin or Satan or pain or suffering. And every day from that point on, we'll be worshiping Christ for eternity together forever and ever, amen. Amen, amen, amen. That's the whole point, man. Coming together and worshiping, man. Front row to back row. We sing the gospel together. We proclaim the truths of Jesus Christ. And, and listen, this just in, by the way, heaven, heaven, that's all we're doing for eternity, is exalting the name of the Lord together. So my advice is, you might as well get some practice. <laughs> Wake up, church. Wake up, church. Praise the Lord. Wake up, church. Not just this church, all the church. Wake up, man. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Coming together to exalt. But notice, notice, it's the private that leads to the public. I can't change your heart, but the Lord can as you sit there in the quiet of the moment of the morning and you seek God and you come in and you're struggling and you're going through different areas of trial like I am too, but you come in and all of a sudden then you get the encouragement of the body of Christ as the Holy Spirit starts to move. Do you know how much God loves this setting? Do you know how much God cares about this place right now and the people in here, man? This is what he died for. He purchased every person here who's saved. He cares a lot. And he wants to see us filled with him and his glory and exalting the name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. How important this is, how, how blessed this is. Super, super quick. John Piper breaks down two ways we magnify. There's the microscope. The microscope and its magnification makes a small thing look bigger. That's not us, Okay. We do that in life. We take our problems and we put the microscope upon our problems and it stresses us out because a little thing all of a sudden through the microscope looks so big and we get all worried and we're frantic and we start to lose our power for the Lord. We're not a microscope. We're supposed to be a telescope. What a telescope does, it looks out and makes an already big thing come to the reality of how, uh, what size it actually is. As the telescope peers into the universe, it's bringing the vastness and the mass of nature of the universe closer to us so we can see its size for what it really is. We are to be telescopes looking at our God. 
Our God is so awesome. Our God is so big. Our God is so glorious. We can't make him smaller, man. He is everything. So we're to come in here and to be telescopes. We're to go from here and to take our spiritual telescopes and seek the Lord and gaze upon the Lord and glorify the Lord. And your opportunity for this is everywhere, everywhere, every day, every moment. You have so many opportunities to do this. Just this past week, I remember being with my kids in our kitchen, just looking out in the backyard and say, hey kids, can you count how many shades of green there are in the backyard right now? What a beautiful time of year, isn't it? You know, just before the grass gets all brown in the summer, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you look out and you just, if you just take enough moments and you try to count the shades of green just in this one little tiny backyard picture. And it's just almost overwhelming. You just, I, I just, I, I lose count. I'm just like, how did that happen? Some big bang? Some just, you know, by chance, just all these colors of green that are formed here and just whatever, just one little fraction, this smidge of the creation of the Lord. It's just a, just a, just a tiny, 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 minute portion. And you look at that and you're like, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together, the creator of the universe, the God of all glory. And this is our opportunity. And I need to move on from point number one now. Let's go to point number two. It's this, what does dependence look like? It looks like a life that seeks the Lord, a life that seeks the Lord, of course it does. Look at verse four. So what I'm doing in my Bible right now, because I want this to be a template for my life, okay? So I, with a red pen, circled the word magnify in verse three, and now we come to verse four, and I'm circling with a red pen, um, I sought, okay? Because these are the points that we're seeing. This is what dependence does. Verse four, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Verse eight, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Anyone else favorite verse, verse eight, or one of your favorite verses? Anyone else? Anyone else? Four of us will get together after the service and high five, all right? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse four, verse five, verse eight. Notice the verbs here. I sought, look to the Lord, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is who the child of God is to be. Seeking, looking, tasting. Don't miss the beauty behind this loved one, seeking the Lord, looking to the Lord, tasting the Lord. How can we depend on the one we do not seek, we do not look to, and we do not taste and see how good he really is? Notice here, seeking, looking, tasting. What the Bible's telling us right here, dependence, loved ones, dependence on some level is to be felt. This is supposed to be a encounter with the living God. When the Holy Spirit moves us, I mean, you cannot truly encounter God and remain unmoved. You cannot meet the living God and not be affected on some level, on an emotional, spiritual, physical level. Things change. The Holy Spirit comes in. It's not just an intellectual exercise. When the mind is truly renewed, it impacts the heart and it changes the face. This is what we're learning here, to taste and see that the Lord is good. The results of seeking him in verse four are he answers us, he delivers us. Notice in verse four, David reveals that he also has fears. Good, we're encouraged by that because we have fears too. But notice David's solution to his fear. His solution is dependence. Oh, we must seek the Lord as a church. Oh, we must show the Lord we depend upon him. How do we show the Lord we depend on him? Well, we, we seek him. Notice again, if we seek him, it's here that we look to him. And the verse five says, as we look to him, then we become radiant, never to be ashamed. 
I love this verse too. Those who look to him are radiant. The beauty, the supernatural beauty of the Lord upon the faces of his children. Oh, the time, the energy, and the money that we spend in trying to look physically attractive in the temporal and the external. Our world is absolutely obsessed with this. The Lord creates a beauty by causing his children to become radiant that the world can't even touch. Those who look to the Lord are radiant. To become radiant means to shine. It means to beam. It means to become bright. This is why I live to see people saved in Jesus Christ. How many, I could walk around this room right now and I could pick out dozens and dozens of people that I literally saw you before Christ and you were just dead. You were spiritually dead. So often you can just see it on people's faces. There's just no light. There's, there's just no radiance because it's a supernatural thing. You can't fake this. You can't put enough makeup on and start to look radiant, okay? It's a supernatural thing. But I see you before Christ and then to see you, the Lord Jesus Christ intervenes. You are radically transformed. The Bible says you are born again. You are regenerated. The Bible says that you become a new creation. The Bible says you were dead, but now you are alive. The Bible says now the Holy Spirit lives within you. You will never, ever die again. The Bible says you now are radiant and your face will never, ever be ashamed. Man, when, when you see that, you look at that person and you're just like, you just look different. Like you flat out look different because how do you not convey the reality that you were dead and now you're alive and the face of the individual shows it? It is awesome. The light in the eyes, the smile on the face. I'm not talking about never having hard days. It's talking about the reality of being born again in Jesus Christ. It is oh so beautiful. So radiance in verse five is a symbol of joy, a symbol of joy that is seen the person looking to Christ. And I love this promise in verse five. Take a look. It says their faces shall never be ashamed. Now think of the accused outside the courtroom. You know those scenes? And they're coming out of the courtroom and the cords, uh, coats are over their faces and they don't want to be seen. The cameras are trying, they sit in the car and all the cameras are trying to click and they're covering their faces and, and anything to let their face be shown because of the shame they feel of the crime they're being accused of or the crime that they've committed. Anything but their faces to be ashamed and everyone is trying to expose them who they really are. Listen, listen, that will never ever happen to the child of God. That will never happen. If you are genuinely saved in Jesus Christ, your face will never, ever be ashamed. It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what Satan says. It doesn't matter what our friends or people around us say. If you are in Jesus Christ, the promise is your face will never, ever be ashamed. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is a truth to take home right now, put in your spiritual pocket and take out every day when the voices come and the accusations are heard. I have looked to the Lord and I am radiant and my face will never, ever be ashamed. No shame, loved ones, no shame. Who's that for today? No shame in Jesus Christ, ever. He took it all. Jesus took it all. That's why I love seeing songs like we sing here, Jesus, son of God. He took our sin. He bore our shame. He rose to life. He defeated the grave and a love like this. And then it goes back, and then it goes back into the verse again. And he took our sin and he bore, and it kind of builds in the song. I'm like, he took our, bore our shit. I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking back to my past. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm thinking to my present. All my shit, all my shit, like the, the horrific, horrific thoughts and actions and words, like horrific. And all my shame is on Christ. And he took my sin and he bore my shame and he rose to life. 
And he defeated the grave. What a love. What a love. And I can stand the promise right now that I will never, ever experience the shame of judgment or condemnation from my God, ever, all because of what Christ has done. No wonder then, David says in verse eight, look at verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah, you better believe it. What could be better? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, that is why, that truth right there, that is why some of us right now are here and discouraged and depressed. You're like, what? What are you talking about? Where'd you get that from? We're talking about all this joy of being tasting the Lord. No, no, listen, listen. If you truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good, anything less than that will leave you miserable. If you've genuinely tasted the meal of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have experienced and encountered how satisfying he is, if you fall, this is what's happening every day. The world's trying to pull us back into its devices, its idolatry, its emptiness, and its misery. Some of you are here right now and you are miserable, you are discouraged, and you are depressed because ultimately you have tasted the meal legitimately. You have left that table. You are feeding on the scraps of destruction and emptiness and until you return to the banquet table of Jesus Christ, you will remain dissatisfied, miserable, discouraged, and on the verge of depression. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. I'm Craig Turnbull, and on behalf of Robbie Simons, we invite you to join us again next time on Live in the Light.